Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Numbers in two places. First of all, we read the first 11 verses of Numbers 27, and then we'll read the last chapter in the book of Numbers, Numbers 36, continuing in our little series on the unsung heroes of faith. We look this morning at the faith of the daughters of Zelophehad. In chapter 26, God has commanded Moses to take a second numbering of the children of Israel for the purpose of dividing the land of Canaan. In this numbering, Zelophehad and his daughters, Zelophehad who was dead, and his daughters were mentioned in verse 33. But the numbering took place according to the sons of Israel. Now we read chapter 27. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Makar, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, and Hogla, and Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eliezer the priest and before all the princes and all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not in the congregation of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family? Because he hath no sons. Give unto us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brethren, and thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a man die and have no son, then ye shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. And if he have no daughter, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his brethren. And if he have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his father's brethren. And if his father have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his kinsmen, that is next to him of his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be unto the children of Israel a statue of judgment, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now we read in Deuteronomy, or Numbers chapter 36, if you turn to that now. There was one thing that was not addressed in the judgment that was given concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, and that was the question, well, what happens if one of these young ladies marries a man from outside of her tribe does the inheritance then pass to her husband? 
that's going to be addressed in this chapter. Chapter 36, And the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Machar, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spake unto Moses, before Moses and before the princes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, The Lord gave command, the Lord commanded my Lord to give the land for an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of Zlophehad, our brother, unto his daughters. And if they be married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then shall their inheritance be taken from the inheritance of our fathers and shall be put to the inheritance of the tribe whereunto they are received. So shall it be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the children of Israel shall be, then shall their inheritance be put unto the inheritance of the tribe whereunto they are received. So shall their inheritance be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. And Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, The tribe of the sons of Joseph has said well. This is the thing which the Lord doth command concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, Let them marry to whom they think best, only to the family of the tribe of their father shall they marry. So shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his father. And every daughter that possesseth an inheritance in any of the tribe of the children of Israel shall be wife unto one of the family of the tribe of her father, that the children of Israel may enjoy every man the inheritance of his fathers. Neither shall the inheritance remove from one tribe to another tribe, but every one of the tribes of the children of Israel shall keep himself to his own inheritance, even as the Lord commanded Moses. So did the daughters of Zelophehad, for Mala, Tirzah, Hogla, Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married unto their fathers, brothers, sons. And they were married into the families of the son of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of the family of their father. These are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses unto the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan near Jericho. May God bless the reading of the scripture to our hearts. We continued this morning, as I said, our brief series on the unsung heroes of faith, not looking at the heroes of faith listed in Hebrews 11, but the many who are unknown 
and often go unnoticed by us. There is no song recording their deed. We sing in the Psalter, Gracious Lord, remember David, how he made thy house's care. In another Psalter, we sing, And Moses pled the promised grace and turned God's wrath away. Songs celebrating their faith. But there are many of whom no song is sung. And yet, they possess the same living faith like us, perhaps unnoticed, but possessing that same power of faith which must and will show itself. And children, and all of us, children I hope you will remember because now this will be the third time that I say it to you, these unsung heroes of faith teach us two important lessons concerning true faith. I want you to remember them. Those two important lessons are true faith does not look for a big moment to come out. Oh, I will have faith when I'm 30, when I get married. True faith shines moment by moment in every event of life. And secondly, true faith does not draw attention to self and to their own, our own deeds. But true faith always draws attention to God and to his deeds. So who are these five daughters of Zelophehad? What is it exactly that they did that was so bold and so beautiful and so exemplary of true faith? Well, if we don't know about them, and if we don't know exactly what they did by faith, then the fault is ours, and the fault is not the Bible. Because these daughters of Zelophehad are mentioned five times in the Bible. We saw three of them, verse 33 of Numbers 26, Numbers 27, Numbers 36, again in Joshua chapter 17, verse 3, when Joshua is distributing the land, these daughters again come personally to Joshua and say, remember what Moses said about our inheritance. And then the fifth time, they are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Chronicles 7 rather, where their names are not listed, but they are referred to. When the Bible mentions somebody's name so many times, then the Bible is saying, pay attention. These five daughters of Zelophehad lived for 40 years in the wilderness. Their father, Zelophehad, was not part of the age that of that generation that refused to enter into the land, all 20 and older. He was younger than 20 when they left Mount Sinai. But he died during those 40 years. He and his wife had had five daughters. So we, and we estimate that these five young women were between the ages of perhaps 15, maybe as high as 30, somewhere in there. These were orphan daughters. 
And the scriptures point them out when a census is being made for the division of the land according to the sons of each tribe. And these four daughters lay hold by faith of the inheritance in Canaan. They are decided about what they want in this life. They want to be among the people of God. They want to partake of the treasures of the covenant. They want to be in that possession. And their faith will regulate who they marry and where they will live. So I call your attention to the unsung faith of the daughters of Zelophehad. We want to see what they wanted. What did they really want? We want to see, secondly, the lessons that their faith is teaching today. And then finally, we want to see that God sets them before us as an inspiration to our faith. The daughters of Zelophehad wanted a name and a place among the people of God. They wanted to be here this morning. They wanted to be numbered with the people who were inheriting the gracious covenant promises of God. They wanted a portion of land in Canaan for themselves and for their children someday. As the matter stood, at the end of Numbers 26, they would not receive this possession, this inheritance in Canaan. In Numbers 26, Israel stands on the verge of entering into the land of Canaan. Verse 63 of chapter 26 tells us that the numbering took place when Israel was in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. They are ready to pass over the Jericho. At this point, God has commanded another numbering to take place. You should remember in the book of Numbers, counting, numbering, that there are two numberings. The first took place on Mount Sinai among the generation that had exited, ex, exited out of Egypt the generation which, after they are numbered at Mount Sinai, come to Kadesh Barnea, send out the spies, and refuse to enter in because of unbelief and must perish in the wilderness. A degeneration of whom we read in Psalm 95, unto whom I swore in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Everyone 20 and older perished in the wilderness. Now we're dealing with the generation following them, all those under 20 who lived 40 years in the wilderness. And God says, as they're ready now to enter, there must be a numbering among them to determine their location, their lot, their portion in the promised land. The land will be divided to them. And in Numbers 26, the numbering takes place according to the sons, to the existing men and their sons. But Zelophehad, one of those 
not part of the rebellion over the, over the evil spies. But Zelophehad had died, and he had only four daughters. And as matters stood, they would not receive an inheritance. What did they want? What were they coveting? They wanted to be listed. They wanted to live. They wanted the inheritance of the people of God. They wanted the gospel. They wanted the church. Their desire was not carnal. They don't come before Moses simply with a carnal legal dispute. My dad is getting written out of the inheritance. And if he gets written out, we get written out. And we're not going to get an inheritance of land in this world. These five young women are not like the young man who interrupted our Lord when he was teaching in Luke chapter 12 and said, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. He was a covetous, driven man. They are not driven by covetousness. They want their names listed as those who receive the inheritance of God. You know, we often, in the Old Testament, when we're reading it, we skip over, and our children probably know this, that long, those long lists of all those names, and then that long list of all those cities, and then that detailed list of divisions. We, we don't read the list, but beloved, if your name is supposed to be there, you'd read the list. These ladies read the list, those long lists, and their name wasn't there. They wanted not a carnal thing, but they wanted the promise. Canaan was the land of promise. Canaan was typical Canaan was not part of a covenant of God with the Jews and that Jesus is going to return to that land for a thousand years. No, Canaan was typical. The Bible is explicit that they sought a heavenly, ultimately a heavenly inheritance. Canaan represented the truth of the scriptures of the covenant fellowship of God in Jesus Christ. It represented the blessings of Jesus Christ on this earth Canaan was a picture of the church of God even on earth. They wanted to be part of that church. They wanted the things that the church was inheriting. They wanted all that was to be found in Christ. Hebrews 11, concerning the Old Testament saints, these all died in faith, confessing they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. It wasn't the soil of Canaan. They desired a better, a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. They wanted Hebrews, what we read in Hebrews 12, Zion, the church of the firstborn, the assembly of God's people. 
So this was not young ladies, children. This was not that suddenly you learn that your dad has a possession. He's, you didn't know about it. He's, he's deceased. But your dad has a possession of five acres somewhere up on Mount Baker. And he's got a cabin up there that is just so beautiful. And you're going to be written out of the will. And you need to do something to get it. That's not what these young women are about. But it was a spiritual inheritance that lived in their hearts. Does this live in our hearts? Is this what we want? They wanted a name and a place with God's people. And so we read in the text that they came forward in faith that there is no one to do it for them but they must do this they do not at this point seek an advocate to speak for them but faith whether it were male or female must speak for itself of what is in the heart. They come to the sacred place of judgment. They come to Moses and to the elders of Israel and to the place where judgment is given. They come to this place in humility and in respect and in faith. They are not feminist. They do not come because they are ingrained and deeply suspicious of all people in authority and that they believe that because they're a woman they're being excluded from these things. They do not come demanding their rights. They come in faith, in respect to the representatives of God's church and they present their case. Our father was not part of the rebellion that refused to enter Canaan. Our father was not in the company of Korah either during the wilderness years. He wasn't in his group either. He was a sinful man. He's not saying that he was involved perhaps in some unrepentant sin, but simply the truth that he died in his own sins. Forgiven in the precious blood of Christ, confessing them. But he's not listed because he's dead. And he's not listed and we're not listed and neither he in his name or we, his descendants, will receive that place that is being marked out for every family and tribe of Israel. They came in love for their father, love for his spiritual heritage given to them, They loved that heritage. They came in their own desires. And so Moses brings this case before the Lord. And he goes to the Lord. And the Lord responds through Moses. The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father, Zelophehad, to pass unto them. 
And God, as we read, went on to delineate what is to happen in case of death. If there are no son, if there are no sons, how it goes to the daughter, and how it must always be governed that the inheritance stays in the tribe of which they are part, in the family of which they are part. And so God explains this, and it's very interesting to see that the problem was known to God already when he told Moses to do the numbering, but God did not tell Moses the problem. Moses had to bump into it and go to God with this problem. But even then, a little further thought at that point could have led them to the next question, what happens if these daughters marry outside their tribe? But they don't think of that. And so later on, we read of a delegation of the tribe of Manasseh, chapter 36, and they come to Moses and they address that very concern. And when they come, it is not that they are disgruntled with Moses' decision. They are not disgruntled. They support that decision. What the daughters of Zelophehad has said was correct, but there was a contingency that you did not address, and that concerns exactly what will happen if one of the five of them, or all five of them, would marry a young man from a different tribe. What happens in our inheritance of Manasseh, which borders on Ephraim, that if an eligible, handsome, young bachelor makes his way over the mountains and comes to Manasseh, and God sparks love between one of the daughters of Zelophehad and this man from Ephraim, or it could even be from the land of Judah, from whom we don't even share borders, and they fall in love and they get married. What will happen? They point out to Moses that according to the Mosaic law, that would mean that their inheritance of these daughters would pass over to their husband. For the inheritance always followed, first of all, the line of the man or of the husband. And that would mean that part of the inheritance of Manasseh would be transferred to another tribe. What are you going to do about that? And this is not just a theoretical problem. We read in Isaiah 5, verse 8, among Isaiah's woes in chapter 5, woe to them that join house to house, that lay field to field. There were carnally driven bachelors. As we learn from the book of, from the book of Ruth, and looking to marry a widow, looking to marry a girl with an inheritance, to gain their inheritance through marriage. And God says, the men of Manasseh have spoken well. Chapter 36, verse 6, let them 
the daughters of Lophab, Mary. Now, pay attention to these words. They're very important. Let them marry to whom they think best. Only in the family of the tribe of their fathers shall they marry. And the daughters of Lophahad did so. They regulated their marriage according to their inheritance. What did they want? They wanted for themselves and for their children a place among the blood-bought people of God. What do you want as a young woman? What do you want as a young man? What burns in your heart as a child? What do you want? The daughters of Zophahad wanted this, an inheritance among the people of God. Maybe a better way for me to ask the question to all of us, everyone, we're all being asked by God this question, But maybe a better way to ask the question is, what this morning do you not want to miss out? We talk now of FOMO, fear of missing out, as becoming a very big thing. I can't, I wasn't included in that text. My life is falling apart. I wasn't included in in that group. What are we afraid of missing out? What do we say to God? Please, don't take this from me. What pops up? What do we want? Do we say, I want honor. I want recognition. I want acquisitions of things. I want my will. I want, as a young person, to be able to travel... Nothing wrong with that. I want, well, I have a dream life. I want a man. I don't want to be single. What do we want? Old or young? Is it participation, union with, a place in the people of God, under the truth of God, the saints of God, the gospel of God, the cause of God, the promises of God. And does that faith squeeze out all other desires, legitimate desires, many of them, but they are not first in our hearts. They are pushed aside. Give to us a possession among the people of God. Their faith is teaching us this morning. Their faith was, first of all, confident 
Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You remember Catechism students and young people. You remember that beautiful Lord's Day. Faith is an assured confidence of all that God has promised us in his word. They have that assured confidence because, now think about it, they have that assured confidence because they're on the other side of the Jordan River. They have not entered into the land of promise. It is not conquered at this point. But they act as if it is a done deal, as if that inheritance will be given to Israel. They act, even though they don't see yet Canaan subdued under the armies of Joshua. They don't see that yet. They act on God's promise that God is going to give them that land. They have an assured confidence in the promises of God. They hadn't put a foot on that land yet. None of them had put a foot actually in the land of Canaan. And yet they speak as though it is certainly going to be theirs. That's faith. Faith is the persuasion that all that God has promised me is true and is for me. And holds to those promises of God for our strength in this world. Faith embraces the promises. When a little child dies. When affliction enters our bodies. When troubles come to the church. Faith holds the promises of God. Secondly, their faith relied on God when apparently things were hopeless. I was pointing out a moment ago of how this proceeded, that God could have really avoided the whole issue by simply telling Moses, these are the things you need to take into consideration in this numbering in your senses. But God didn't do that. God knew what he would do, but he didn't do that. They had to follow him step by step. For all they knew was the inheritance is going to the sons. It's not going to go to us. And so they had to rely upon God and go forward in faith. And then they had to rely upon God when they were told, and now you must look and marry in your own inheritance. There is where you must marry when God spells these things out. And through it all, they rely on God. Their faith, number three, was intense. It was passionate. It was personal. It was not complacent. It was not ho-hum. It was not indifference. It was not just floating along in this world. But it had zeal to it. It had passion to it. A name and a place in the land of promise among the people of God. They had passion for that. Their heart hung on that. To know God in Jesus Christ, to receive this morning the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ, to be part of the people of God. This is not just 
something we do. This is our passion, they said, to live among a holy and faithful people of God. This is what we want in our hearts. Their faith was passionate in their hearts. True faith is passionate. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, lay hold of eternal life. That word lay hold is get a hold of it. Like when you're playing football and the coach says, when you get the ball, tuck it away because there's going to be everybody on the field trying to get it out of your hands. Hold on to it. There are many things that are going to try to get this out of your hand, this promise of God in this world. Hold fast to it steadfastly. They were passionate about their father's inheritance. They didn't look at their father's faith and life and say, well, but they saw the work of God in their father's faith. He was a sinful man, they say to Moses, so they knew him. But sinful man, he taught us about this inheritance in Christ. And that's why we respect him. And that's why his name needs to be there. And then finally, so their faith was confident, their faith was reliant, their faith was intense, their faith finally, number four, directed their two most important decisions in life. Or two, one is a very most important decision. The second is equally is important. But the two decisions that their faith directed them in was who they would marry and where they would live. The choice of who you marry as a young man, as a young woman, boys and girls listen to me as well, Don't don't listen to me. We listen to God's word. The choice of who you marry must be determined by this spiritual inheritance. It's a remarkable statement. Numbers 36.6, let them marry to whom they think best. Only to the family of the tribe of their father shall they marry. Think best. So even within your inheritance, you must think. You must think wisely. You must pick prayerfully. You must pick deliberately. You must look for a man whose heart is one with the Lord, who loves the Lord, who will care for you out of that love for God. You need to pick very carefully. It's your Your parents can guide you. Other people can guide you. As you, before God, think best. But only in your inheritance. Not close to your inheritance, but in your inheritance. One 
who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves these holy scriptures, who wants to serve God with you in your marriage. And the choice of where you live is not simply geographic, wherever you want to go, but among the people of God, with the people of God, supporting the causes of the people of God. This was their faith. And their faith inspires us. If we read the book of Numbers very carefully, we see that God is making a point, a big point, with the daughters of Zelophehad. I said there are two numberings. There's that numbering of the generation that exited Egypt and did not enter. And what was the reason they did not enter? It was unbelief. The scriptures are explicit. They had a heart of unbelief and departed in their unbelief from the living God. It was simply too hard for them. It could not be done. There were giants. There were all kinds of reasons why this was not possible. And they went back to Egypt. It was unbelief. But now in this second numbering, God has given true faith. The whole point is that the entrance is through faith in Jesus Christ. And where shall the example of this faith that enters into the promises of God, where shall this example be found? Shall it be found in Moses? Well, he was a man of great faith. But Moses will not enter in because of his disobedience to God. Shall it be found in Eliezer? Maybe Phineas, his son. No, it's going to be found in the unsung, unnoticed people of faith, women of faith, like you and me, who by faith receive the promises, inherit the promises. The first five books of the Bible always end in the hope of eternal life. Genesis 50, Joseph says, carry my bones back to Canaan. Exodus 40, Israel is being led by the pillar of fire toward Canaan. The book of Leviticus, chapter 27, they're on Mount Sinai, ready to go to Canaan. Deuteronomy 34 Moses is on Mount Nebo seeing Canaan. Numbers 36, Israel is on the bank of the Jordan River. All five books end looking to the promises. The daughters of Zelophehad were looking to the promises. Their faith inspires us. They are like you and me. They're not 
a bit different. But their faith said, as single women, we have a home. We have a place in this world. We have a God who cares for me. This is what we want. By the grace of God, may we have that faith of the daughters of Zelophehad. And by his grace, may we want and desire with all our hearts to be numbered with the people of God. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. We pray that thou wilt apply thy word to our own hearts by the spirit of wisdom. We pray that thou wilt remove all that was said amiss. And yet, O Lord, we pray that the truth, the wonderful truths of Holy Scripture may shine upon our hearts as thou dost speak to us of the daughters of Zelophehad. In Jesus' name do we pray. Amen.